Good morning. The first Bible reading today is Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. Jesus has risen. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman, women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Amen. Well, good morning. Our um, second reading today is from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 20, the resurrection of the dead. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have been who have fallen asleep. It's God's word. Friends, uh, special thank you to uh, the music team. They've been rehearsing and uh, leading us in worship to focus on our beautiful resurrected Saviour. Friends, the truth is, on the third day, everything changed, didn't it? Christ was raised from the dead. And one of the beautiful things the resurrection does is it kills people's faith in atheism. Now, Lee Strobel uh, wrote his testimony, and he's written multiple books now, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, uh, recently The Case for Heaven. Uh, But he wrote an article called How Easter Killed My Faith in Atheism. It was published in the Wall Street Journal in 2011, and it was subtitled, How Serious Study of the Facts Led an Atheist Chicago Newspaper Editor to Lose His Atheism. And uh, in his letter, he said some of these things. He said, it was the worst news I would get as an atheist. My agnostic wife became a Christian. Wasn't happy about that at all, he said. He said, I had two... Thoughts shot through my mind. The first was an expletive, and I'm not sharing any of that. The second was divorce, he said. 
I thought she was going to turn into a self-righteous holy roller. But over the following months, I was intrigued by the positive changes that took place in her character and her values. So I decided, he says, to take my journalism and legal training, I was the legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, and systematically investigate whether there was any credibility of Christianity. Maybe I figured I could extricate her from this cult, that's what he called Christians, a cult. I quickly determined that the alleged resurrection of Jesus was the key. Anyone can claim to be divine, but if Jesus backed up his claim by returning from the dead, then that was awfully good evidence he was telling the truth. For nearly two years, he says, I explored the historical data on whether Easter was a myth or a reality. I didn't merely accept the New Testament at face value. I was determined only to consider facts that were well supported historically. As my investigation unfolded, my atheism began to buckle. Look at some of these questions. Firstly, was Jesus really executed? He said the evidence was so strong that even an atheist historian, Gerd Ludemann, said his death by crucifixion is indisputable. Is the resurrection a legend? Not a chance. Sherwin White of Oxford said it took more than two generations of time in the ancient world for legend to develop and wipe out a solid core of, of historical truth. Yet we have a report of the resurrection that Jesus appeared to, name, to named individuals and groups of eyewitnesses, which has been dated within months of Jesus' death. Was Jesus' tomb empty? Big question. Scholar William Lane Craig points out that its location was known to Christians and non-Christians alike. So if it hadn't been empty, if the body was still there, it would have been highly unlikely for a movement founded on the resurrection to have exploded into existence in the same city where Jesus had been publicly executed just a few weeks before. He says, besides that, he writes, Jesus' opponents implicitly admitted the tomb was vacant by claiming that the body had been stolen. Remember, that's the story of the Roman soldiers. Someone or the disciples stole the body, they said. But nobody had a motive for taking the body, especially the disciples. We have seven ancient sources that report they were willing to endure lives of deprivation and suffering as a result of their proclamation that Jesus had risen. It's unlikely they would have done it if they knew that they were propagating a lie. Well, did anyone see Jesus alive again, he asked. We have nine ancient sources inside and outside the New Testament that confirm the apostles' conviction they encountered the resurrected Christ. These sources stood strong when I tried to discredit them. Could these encounters have been hallucinations? No way, the experts told me, he said. Hallucinations occur in individual brains like dreams, yet Jesus appeared to groups of people on three different occasions including 500 at once. Well, was this some sort of vision, perhaps prompted by the apostles' grief over the leader's execution? He says, this wouldn't explain the dramatic conversion of Saul, an opponent, an opponent of Christians, or James, the once skeptical half-brother of Jesus. Neither was primed for a vision, yet each saw the risen Jesus and later died as the leader of the church. Besides, if these were visions, the body would still have been in the tomb. Well, was the resurrection simply the recasting of ancient mythology akin to the fanciful tales of Osiris or Mithras? He says, if you've seen a historian laugh out loud, 
Or if you want to see a historian laugh out loud, bring up that kind of pop culture nonsense. And this is just a brief article, he's got whole books on this, and he says, one by one, my objections evaporated. I read books by skeptics, but their counter-arguments crumbled under the weight of the historical data. He said, no wonder atheists so often come up short in scholarly debates over the resurrection. He said, in the end, after I thoroughly investigated the matter, I'd reached an unexpected conclusion. It would actually take more faith to maintain my atheism than to become a follower of Jesus. And at that point, he said, I was celebrating my 34th Easter as a Christian. Not because of wishful thinking, not because of the fear of death, not because of the need of a psychological crutch, but because of the facts. The Bible says Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And friends, it is this message that we have historical data for that gives us hope today. Hank Hanegrafer, another Christian leader, writes, You see, without resurrection, there is no hope. Indeed, without resurrection, there is no Christianity. If Jesus is dead in a tomb, then we have nothing. Josh McDowell, also a Christian author and apologist, who also started, started off as an atheist and was convinced by the evidence, writes, After more than 700 hours of studying this subject and thoroughly investigating its foundation, I have come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men, or it is the most fantastic fact of history. He came to believe it's the most fantastic fact of history and became a follower of Jesus. But friends, it's not only historically true, and you need to hold on to that, that we believe in a literal physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and that's why we follow him. But he offers us now life, or meaning to life, abundant life, eternal life. He offers us new starts. And just two, two ideas to pick up this morning out of that passage in 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection brings deliverance from guilt and sin. The resurrection brings us deliverance from guilt and sin. That Christ, and Christ has not been raised, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. You see, some people are arguing that uh, um, we weren't going to be raised, and uh, if we're not going to be raised, therefore Christ hasn't been raised. And they say, well, if you don't believe in a life afterwards, it's just for here and now, uh, you know, we, we're to be pitied, he says later. Your faith means nothing. You can gather in church on a Sunday morning. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. But if Jesus is dead, then give it up. Go out and play golf. Go do what the rest of the world is doing today. Go to the beaches. It's a beautiful day. What are you doing in church or on live stream? If he's dead, give it all up. But if he's alive, it changes everything. See, the resurrection signifies God's divine yes to the cross. It says that cross, as I point here to my left, the death of Jesus, it's an empty cross, by the way, because he's alive, right? But the cross reminds us that he did die for our sins, and his resurrection is the guarantee that his sacrifice worked. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be delivered from guilt and sin. C.J. Mahaney is a Christian author from the United States, and he wrote a book called Living the Cross-Centered Life. And uh, he just is honest enough to admit his sins and his failures because he says, if you don't admit your sins and your failures, you never come to Christ to be forgiven. 
And a lot of people pretend they're okay, they don't need forgiveness, they don't need a saviour, they don't need a, re- need a resurrected Lord. He said, if you don't admit to it, then you fall short, you'll never come. He says, before God saved me from his righteous wrath in 1972, I lived for myself and my own pleasure. I lived in rebellion against God and mocked those who followed him. I spent my high school and college years deeply immersed in the drug culture. Some late nights, my friends and I, we would seek out quiet, isolated places where we could come down safely from drug heights. On more than a few occasions, it was a DC monument. Other times, a peaceful street under thick, deep trees. Or even at the terminal at what was then a little-used airport called Jules. The door stayed open long after the day's flights had ceased, and we would move through these deserted canyon of a building, and we would recover from a drug overdoses. So we were crazy and crazily lost. Someday, he says now, having come to Christ, he says, I'll be near one of those places again, and the memories will flood back in. I'll remember what I once was and be reminded of all I've received and experienced in Jesus. What I was, what I've become. See, Jesus makes a difference. He takes lost, broken, drug-addicted people and transforms them into new men and women of God. Often my eyes, he says, will be filled with tears of the memories of my foolishness and my sin. That's a conviction of God in your life. When you see your past or you see your present behavior and it brings you to tears, and you say, God, I don't want to live like that any longer. And thank you, Jesus, that you took my place. You took my punishment on that cross. That all can be wiped away. I can have the slate clean before God. He says, not only am I filled with tears, but at the same instance, my heart will be filled with unspeakable and holy joy. By the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, I've been forgiven of the countless sins I've committed. My friends, I think we need to remember today that not only does the resurrection guarantee our forgiveness, it reminds us to offer forgiveness to those who have hurt us. Because when you come to meet Jesus and he changes your life and forgives your sins, he teaches you to, to forgive as he has forgiven us. And... Uh, you will remember that on the night of February the 1st, 2020, the Abdullah siblings, Anthony, 13, Angelina, 12, and Sienna, only 8, along with their cousin, uh, Veronica, who was 11, went for a walk to get some ice cream. Three other cousins and siblings were part of that group that set off to the local shop. At the same time, the children were walking down the footpath on Beddington Road, Oatlands, not far from their home, a driver who was under the influence of drugs and alcohol was speeding down the road in his ute. He lost control of the vehicle, around a bend, ended up mounting the curb, hitting the group of seven children from behind. Anthony, Angelina, Sienna, and Veronica died at the scene. So what was the family's response to that? You'd be aware, they've been in the media quite a lot, but parents, Daniel and Leela Abdullah, have created I Forgive Day. One of the things they wanted to give to others is to, say, to remind people God has forgiven us and we need to learn to forgive those who hurt us or those who sin against us as well. And, um, and it's a constant and annual reminder now. I think it's gone into his second year. And um, they say this, forgiveness is the greatest gift you can give yourself and others. The more you practice, the better you become at it and allows you to live peacefully and to heal. Forgiveness is more for the forgiver than the forgiven. And they quote this verse in their statement, Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. 
So when we come to Easter Sunday, we remember God's forgiveness. We ask the question, is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone you need to be reconciled with? Someone say sorry or, or receive their forgiveness or offer forgiveness. We've been forgiven by God. We have the certainty of eternal life. We ought to show forgiveness to others. But secondly, the resurrection brings the hope of eternal life. Our guilt is done with. Our sins are dealt with. But also the hope of eternal life. The majority of Australians, uh, I think, they yearn for life beyond death, don't you? You only need to go to the odd funeral and you, you sort of, people talk about hoping to be with their friends in the future, in this place in the sky or somewhere else. Even people who don't believe in Jesus and never been near a church or read a Bible, uh, we sort of hope that there's something beyond, some God out there who will let us into his heaven. The Apostle Paul writes, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Christ brings us life and hope for this life, and for the next. In other words, Christians are these who sort of keep one eye on this life and one eye on the other, if you can do that. We live in light of eternity. And we know there is more. We might live 60 or 70 years, maybe 40 years or 20 years, or 80 or 90. My dad's 88 and he, he's outlasted all, all his family. He thinks he's doing pretty well, but death will catch him too. He'll never escape it. But there is life beyond for eternity if we trust in Jesus. See, the, when he says the first fruits, Christ has indeed been raised the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, the first fruits, if you understand anything about agriculture, were the first pickings of the harvest. You think you, you've been planting, you've been growing and sowing, and all of a sudden the harvest, you get the first fruits. It's a sign that the harvest is coming and more fruit is coming, right? And so Jesus is saying, my resurrection is like the first fruits. Because I've been raised, you know the harvest is coming. You know you will be resurrected as well. That's the guarantee. I've been resurrected, you will be resurrected. 1 Peter says, We have been uh, given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Resurrection is the guarantee of eternal life. And Good Friday was not the end for Jesus. Death is not the end for us. The resurrection guarantees it. But do you look forward to it? Do you have a glorious, uh, well, you have a glorious destiny? Do you look forward to that destiny? Do you have an eternal hope? My prayer that as we see uh, the beauty and the love of Christ in his death and his resurrection, that we will hold on to that message. But secondly, we will share that message with others. David prayed for our Exploring Christianity course, that people would come and explore what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There's a lady called Becky Pippitz. I read one of her books when I was at university. She was a bit younger back then. I read a book called Out of the Salt Shaker, saying Christians shouldn't just stay in the salt shaker. We're meant to be the salt and light of the earth. We need to get out of the salt shaker. right? And be the salt in the world and bring good news and bring life and hope to people. And that challenged me as a university student. We're always going around the university campus, running Christian groups, running Bible studies, writing uh, articles for the newspaper at, at Sydney Teachers College when I was there. And uh, always trying to get the gospel out because you figured if we're Christians, we have the promise of eternal life, we've got to get the word out. And uh, she wrote an article recently called Keep Witnessing God Still Pursuing. Just as God... Uh, 
came in Christ to die and rise again, he's now bringing his people into his kingdom. And uh, she said she was the first person in her family to become a Christian. Uh, Though it took time, eventually all of my family came to Christ except my brother Bobby. So some of you in that situation, you're praying for people to come to Christ and and there's always one or two who show no interest in Christianity or maybe in your family, no one else shows interest in Christianity, right? Some of you in that situation. And... uh, but everyone loved my brother. He had a huge heart, but he made some big mistakes. And one day, Bobby rang her uh, uh, a few years ago. and He said, uh, Becky, I have so many regrets in my life. I've just stuffed up so badly. Uh, well, Bobby, that's wonderful, because the, the gospel makes the most sense to people with regrets, she says. So, no, but when I look at my, how I've lived my life, then I look at your life, I feel so ashamed, he said to her. But she said, do you know what we have in common? We are both sinners who desperately need God's forgiveness. That is why Jesus went to the cross. He died for sinners like us. No one deserves God's grace, but it's there. It's waiting for you, Bobby. He's about to hang up on the phone, she said. He said, Becky, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. A few weeks later, he said, uh, I felt the Lord nudging me to gather my entire family to celebrate Thanksgiving dinner. When my family arrived, I saw Bobby. I was struck by how different he seemed. I wondered, what's happened to Bob? He looked so peaceful and joyful. After dinner, we had a chance to catch up. There's Bobby turning up to this family function. After our phone call, he faced the fact that he'd been running from God his whole life. And he said, I finally did it, Becky. What did you do? He said, I finally did it. I told Jesus, yes. I told Jesus, yes. I surrendered my life to him. Since that moment... You can't imagine all the prayers he's answered for me. When Bobby left, I turned to my husband, Dick, with uncontainable joy. For the first time in my life, I knew my brother belonged to Jesus. Five days later, Bobby was killed in a car crash. Five days later, Bobby was killed in a car crash. So as I said, I processed my shock and grief. I came to see that God in his love and mercy, knowing what was going to happen, had nudged me to gather my whole family together. God alone knew that this would be the last time my family would ever see Bobby alive on earth. And in his infinite mercy, he allowed us to know that Bobby had given his life to him. One week later, he said, I spoke at his funeral. And then afterwards, a friend of Bobby's uh, held a party at a restaurant to honor his memory. He said, I felt drained. I was tired. I was hoping the party wouldn't go too long. You know what it's like after a funeral. How are you spending all this time talking to people when your heart is broken? But that wasn't what God intended. Bobby's friends approached us from every direction for just one reason. They wanted to talk about God. A group of Bobby's male friends came up to Dick and then asked question after question about faith. Then one man who had been quiet the whole time said, if Jesus truly was God's son and rose from the dead and is now in heaven... There's only one question that matters. What does Jesus think about us? What does he think about us? We We didn't sit down for almost two hours. We just kept talking and answering questions. Before we left, I saw a guy I knew from high school sitting at the bar, accompanied by 10 empty beer bottles. What a fine meaning, 10 empty beer bottles. He said, we saw, we all saw the difference in Bobby. I'm not a religious man, but what you and Dick said in your eulogies made sense. I was struck by your comment, how can we reject something and consider ourselves intelligent people if we've never read the accounts of Jesus? So I've decided to take up your challenge. 
Do you have any suggestion what I should read now? And this is all after the funeral, right? After a lot of drinks in this pub. So actually, I think you should start reading the Gospels. The guy says, okay, that's exactly what I'll do. As Dick and I were walking out the door, he yelled across the crowded room, hey, Becky, what's a Gospel? <laughs> Non-Christians don't know what a Gospel is. You had to explain that it was a part of the Bible and, uh, and all of that. Whereas, well, friends, let me say today here at Nauwee Baptist Church, we have some Gospels for you. If you don't have a Bible, you haven't read much of the Bible, uh, this is the New Testament, which includes the first four parts of the New Testament are the four Gospels, the, the accounts of the life of Jesus. We'd love for you to read that. They're for free in the foyer. As well as that, we have the, a small book by Lee Strobel. We gave you the smallest one. Simply, specifically, The Case for Easter. Take it, read it, give it out to a friend. A little booklet called The Real Easter. So you can know what it means to be followed of Jesus. A lovely little book that's led many people to come to understand Jesus. Two ways to live, the, face, the, the choice we'll face. And there's another book I was only able to get in this week uh, by the principal of Morling College, Ross Clifford, called Leading Lawyer's Case for the Resurrection. And it's a little bit more detailed than uh, the other book here. But he looks at some lawyers over time who argue that you can believe the Bible, New Testament records are accurate, and, he, and outlines the evidence for the resurrection. Uh, unfortunately, they're not free, uh, but they're, they're about $20 if you're interested in one of those. And if you can't afford that, I'll take 10 If you can't afford that, I'll take 5 And if you can't afford that, I'll give it to you for free. <laughs> but we'd love for you to read that, and if you're not sure about the evidence, to get to know Jesus better, but uh, see me about that one afterwards as well. Friends, the resurrection is based on historical evidence. The resurrection brings us deliverance from guilt and sin and brings unspeakable joy. And the resurrection brings the hope of eternal life. Abundant life now and life forever with Christ. I encourage you to trust in him, to receive him, to say yes to him as Bobby did. Even if it's, you've been running from God for a long time, say yes to him and start life anew. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you that you raised your son Jesus from the dead on the third day, that our sins and our guilt can be taken away. We can be made new people, sons and daughters of the living God, with purpose and direction and meaning and significance and an eternity to come. Lord, help us to forgive those who have sinned against us and help us to keep sharing this good news with others that they too will come to know you and find joy in you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.